Pranil Shah has a very interesting backstory. He's a CA gold medalist who's now running a growth and marketing charter for a company called Daily Objects, which is scaling to a 200 crore annual revenue, largely contributed by the D2C play. Pranil also has a VC background and also has a founder background. So his story is a ton of insights around how to make choices when you're a founder and you're thinking about next steps in your career. And also a ton of work around how insights from consumer data and intuitive conversation with consumers translate into product strategies, which can give you an amazing lifetime value. Daily Objects is in a category which is about aspirational lifestyle, but accessible designer stuff, which then means in a user's life, on an everyday basis, they have some 15 occasions to service. So this is one of the best businesses which I would see very, very clear headway to about a thousand crore company in the next few years. Let's hear them out. So yeah. Pranil, the most obvious question, the journey from being the guy who understands money and financial accounting, who got a whole bunch of good scores and a gold medal while doing a CA, how do you end up in marketing? So, I mean, you know, a part of that reason is probably, you know, like as arrogant as it is to say it's in my blood, right? Uh, you know, my like our entire family is sort of, you know, filled with CAs and numbers. So numbers have been at the core of my heart. Uh, having said that, you know, the journey has been quite non-linear and interesting. I haven't ever been able to, you know, sort of resonate with the idea of, you know, working in a conventional job, uh, sort of, you know, pursuing the nine to five, whatever. It had to be something bigger. So while I completed my CA in November 2016, uh, I joined like the first thing that I did, like that a CA typically does is, you know, join a big four, right? So I joined one of the big fours, worked in their audit department for about a year. And that's when I realized that this is definitely not for me. Okay. And then I moved into a project financing uh, setup, which essentially analyzes, you know, big township projects, right? Like when you have like, say, a super tech or a Unitech launching a project or a hospitality segment, they need like a lot of funding from different banks, right? 200 crore, 300 crore, 1000 crore. So we as uh, lenders, engineers is what they call it. They analyze the project, whether it's, you know, viable or not, whether it will repay the cash flow or not, right? So that is the first instinct where I sort of got induced into understanding what makes a business work. Who needs that funding? Who will get that funding? Who deserves that funding? That sort of developing a knack for what is money being used for and going deep into, you know, analyzing the companies, ripping their financials off and understanding in depth, right? Beyond what the financials project, uh, what are the software elements uh, of, you know, a viability of a project and a company. From there on, um, I moved into a venture capital setup, which is where my love for startups started. Uh, in parallel, I was also doing my own startup because of that, you know, uh, starting thought that I have to do something, build something of my own. So I would go into my, you know, like nine to seven job. And then at the evening, you know, I would come back, pack orders, set up marketing campaigns and just like study more. That was about 2017 to 2019. Um, just did uh, did that and like you know the company that I was working with the VC firm was mostly into sustainable energy companies so sustainable energy while it was you know a very core to you know some of the values that I represent uh, it was mainly smaller companies needing a lot of cash flow and the conventional banks don't really understand that mm. so you know the bridge financing aspect and the venture financing aspect sort of plays into this uh, my team was extremely, extremely smart. Silicon Valley aces, uh, you know, being guided by those guys into, you know, uh, 
going deeper into you know the promoters who are they marrying who are they partnering with how old is the family setup where is the money coming from what is white what is black right so all of those software elements because you know financial can tell you an x amount of thing you can calculate on theory what are these ratios is it looking good is it looking bad but you know when it comes to venture financing and the startup ecosystem you have to go beyond right you have to take a call on the person who's running the company you have to take a call on the team right these software aspects is what i essentially learned there and i realized that you know this makes me want to do my own thing even further <laughs> which was going on in parallel for almost like 10 12 months and uh, you know that's when in september 2019 i quit and i started my own like it was already there but i sort of you know sure. went full into it yeah so it was fairly new to me coming from a finance background understanding marketing understanding seo understanding communication understanding social media none of it came naturally to me but you know there was a drive to sort of figure it out and uh, like i love tech personally i have always been very close to tech so coding the entire website by myself getting the network to help me out every now and then and setting up like a decently solid setup to sort of scale and then amazon happened flipkart happened i set up my own portal scaled it to a pretty decent level in parallel had a couple of other startups which you know we can skip for <laughs> now um in the pet space um hmm. in the lighting space but yeah the one setup that i had was in pop culture gifting merchandise so pop culture also came naturally to me this i was joel always this is jolman so that was the setup that we uh, you know sort of i scaled with you know like building a small team Pretty much a one man army right i mean from coding the website to marketing it and doing yeah, so, seo to it and yeah. the shipping and the packaging and everything put together absolutely so when it started out it had to be a one man army right because did not understand a lot about building the team did not have the resources very initially very early on but uh, business was growing really fast like beyond a scale that i could handle by myself so team building also happened quite fast and you know like at a small startup teams are very closed knit right so people handle a lot of things you know very erratically and very sporadically mm. uh, ironically one of the persons who uh, was hired at jholmal as uh, a very like very base level blue collar operations person is someone who is working at daily objects as well uh, now in the design mm. team right because there was a lot of focus ki wow. you know you learn about design you learn about photoshop of course he's at a very basic sure. you know sort of uh, position but like from where he was back and back at his hometown in madhya pradesh to coming here living in a you know metro city and like earning 4 5 7 x much as much as he was mm. uh, i think these are the things that sort of you know a, a part of you know the startup culture which sort of excites me right the learning the growth the randomness right anything can happen anyone can do anything which is yeah. sort of you know knit back into the ca moving into a marketing or a growth domain right and i think you know that was the approach even at jolmal so i scaled that to a pretty decent level just like hustling through through and through and then covid hit and a lot of the stuff that we were doing was essentially curating stuff that you wouldn't have seen elsewhere in india right sure uh when covid hit a lot of the supply chains with the southeast asian manufacturers got a little mm. disrupted and you know that sort of you know uh made us rely more on bigger importers who were like you know sending like importing products in bulk rather than directly procuring and these guys would send products to say 20 other such suppliers sure. so the uniqueness factor which sort yeah. of was say 85 90% unique sort of fell down to maybe a 15 20% and while it was still profitable at that scale uh i thought to myself like this is decent money for now and this is decent growth for now but like what about 2 years later 3 mm. years later competition is increasing every now and then you have to have a brand vision right like without a vision a company is bound to fail 
and i wasn't sure of the vision that i initially set out with hmm. and uh, while it was profitable uh, brand loyalties again is something which is very hard these days right sure. uh, earlier it used to be more about you know good brand some average brands and then a lower set of brands so if you are very money conscious you will just go with the cheapest po- option possible hmm. and if you have that capacity you will go with the best option possible sure. uh so it was a fairly black and white choice i feel mm. now moving say you know 7 8 years from back then it's a lot of good brands out of there course. a lot of good brands great products and great storytelling so i feel brand loyalties these days is very hard to maintain right because the choice is even more complicated and with the amount of marketing and with the amount of you know channels that people are pushing their products across it's the user can't help but get influenced right they may hate ads but you are going to see ads it's just about whether you are seeing a ad or b ad right so you are going to see ads facebook asks you is this ad relevant if you say no they will show you some other ad but you will see that ad right so in the era of like constantly being pushed a lot of content brand loyalties are low so i personally feel other than maybe say cosmetics where you know your skin is involved uh, maybe apparels to some extent there is very little brand loyalty or apple right or apple <laughs> right or apple sure. right um so how do you sort of you know capture uh, uh, an audience which wants to come back right and that is not something that i felt that jolmal was doing at that time hmm. which is why i decided to scale it down and then the question came okay what next ironically <laughs> ironically back in december 2021 yeah that is when i just like woke up hungover one day and i decided okay let's just see what's out there and let's just like speak to founders and people and uh, randomly i just like you know shot my resume at daily objects uh, just this was i think 26th december because i remember it was a christmas party 26th december i was there i spoke to uh, the head of growth who was there back then and mm. had a really interesting conversation uh, just went with no expectations in mind right was still a little averse to the idea of working in a setup but the conversation i had with uh, that guy was quite enlightening and i realized that you know this is a setup where uh there is a lot of creativity uh there is you know enough chaos for me to be excited but not too much structure for me to be repelled mm. and there is openness in you know what these guys want to achieve and the kind of roles that these guys want right and within 3 days i had conversations with the head of growth and the two founders and like it just seemed a naturally fit conversation yeah. right these guys were looking at exactly what i was doing right so i had tons of ideas at jorma that i wanted to execute but i couldn't execute them to that scale or maybe there was a resource constraint sure. but which wasn't there in this case right so i'm like this seems like a perfectly perfect playground right perfect playground and uh, you know within like i think my uh, like 26 december was the first interview and 4 january i joined these guys so it was you know that fast great start to the new year yeah great start to the new year and uh, you know I was qu- I was still a little wary on what this essentially entails right handling something which is 50 100 times you know, bigger than you back for a moment and ask you do yeah. you evaluate the company's financials and the founders whatever choices they were making to because you were betting your next few years of your career oh, on this what all did you evaluate mean oh 100% right so i um, you know this is something uh, that i have been doing across different elements of my life right whether it comes to investing in a personal finance capacity uh, a very very random example 
uh, of this is you know a lot of my friends are getting married into business families right sure. so when you know there is a guy who is running a business family they the the parents come to me ki yaar aap batao what is the standing of this company and this may not be relevant at all you <laughs> no, can so right, it's about how do you make decisions yeah. and choices in life which are right so you know judging because you know a lot of things seem very basic you know like there is a lot of show and tell when it you know comes yeah. to certain business people right you can see a certain thing and then you make an impression but when you dig deeper into the financials you know you can tell how big the team is so i would tell my friends okay acha this they is are. this is the likely size of their team this is the you know kind of level that these guys are doing this is the complexity in the different transaction so we have a lot of takers who might be not relevant <laughs> for this conversation but this is an interesting yeah, absolutely. it's a service yeah. proposition no right? actually i figured out that there is a huge gap and absolutely. there is actually a profile which you know there is a need for these right like especially in business marriages or in banya marwadi gujarati marriages this is actually a gap but anyway like moving <laughs> back, back, back to the track life choices and careers yeah yeah moving back to the track uh, you know like before daily objects i did dig deep into their financials right and you understand like all of 7 days from 26 yeah. december to 4th january pretty much and i'm hoping yeah, you yeah. did have you new year party regardless yeah, so yeah absolutely so i mean you know before the interview and like even during the discussions i was having with both the founders these were some of the questions that i sort of you know interacted also with also asked them the hard questions and they were happy to answer i i very i like i think it's very important to be blunt and straightforward and like this is the expectation that they would have for, from me right mm-hmm. that this person knows their their, their numbers right Fair and enough. you know if i don't question them i cannot question a third party on behalf of daily object so now Fair i enough. do that right when it comes to projects uh but yeah going back to that conversation like you know there was a certain financial track record of the company and there was a lot of growth and there were certain questions and, and they were all married about sharing all of this with somebody who's like you're a candidate for a job why exactly are you asking all these questions and that's okay honestly not really i think uh, it flew uh, quite naturally yeah and uh, you know they were quite open about it I mean, right of course, because as a you were also a founder mm. till like a month ago so obviously precisely. that respect is mutual precisely. in some sense precisely so i mean i think the ca nac is what gets people's attention and then the conversation is where they sort of realize that it's a lot more or it's a lot you know not just the numbers part of it right mm. it's a lot of insight into sort of understanding the why's of uh, anything pretty much right so uh, you, you know the why's is that numbers at the root of everything is that the lens or uh it could be right yeah. there at times it is numbers at times it's a qualitative aspect sure. uh, so you know there were a lot of questions on the growth of the company on you know how the company has evolved what can be done better what can't be right like and um not just about asking them the hard questions but it was also about offering suggestions on you know this is what uh, you know a gap from a third lens perspective is mm-hmm. right so do you also acknowledge this gap are you aware of this app gap and what are you doing to address this gap if nothing then how can i help you mm. sort of fix this gap so in some can... sense you like filling up a gap in what their current play looks like and they already yeah. acknowledge it perfect playground yeah. you get your resources yeah. and it's time to roll right so when you sort of you know analyze a company you will find say it's it's very easy to criticize right so you will find 10 gaps and you sure. will be like you know these are 10 gaps so in a lot of cases you know most of the gaps are known for some activities are happening and for some others you know things are not happening for a reason right so understanding and empathizing with the wise is sort of what uh, is sort of you figure out when you have these conversations with people right and not just within daily objects even the conversations i have with different founders or mm. different people in the network marketing specialists or growth specialists uh, on the problems that these guys are facing um, so it's easy to criticize here this is so basic why are you not doing this right this is like boilerplate sure. but when you sort of understand and empathize with the situation with the you know entire uh, 
20 different angles that is when you develop that perspective okay this is why this is not happening right it could be monetary restraint it could be team restraint it could be say a branding angle right anything can happen so understanding all of those things is uh, very critical sure understand you so while this is not normally the agenda of this conversation but yeah. now that we're here i'm curious in terms of there'll be tons of founders who are considering their next week it's all right things happen mm-hmm. but any specific word of advice on how to choose carefully because mm-hmm. you made a great choice somehow mm-hmm. whatever homework you did seems to have worked out well mm-hmm. because you've had a great stint and the company's had a great mm-hmm. journey uh this couldn't have been anticipated in advance maybe mm. some of it could have been because mm. of the nature of questions and the answers you got yeah. so any uh, let's say specific tips on founders looking to you know figure the next step sure so it wasn't uh, i think it wasn't very black and white to start sure. with of course uh, didn't even expect it to be black and white it was mostly about there's a skill set right i think knowing what your core skill set is whether you are a successfully exited founder or you are someone who has scaled down your startup um you need to know what you are good at what your skill set is and what excites you and then you need to figure out what are the brands which have a certain problem statement mm. right you figure out the sync between the problem statement and the skill set and then look at brands where that problem statement is you know being solved by your skill set i think at the very basic that that is about sounds it sounds fairly intuitive and logical but i'm assuming there's a degree of hindsight to it because you spent a certain amount of time absolutely. evolving and getting to this absolutely well. so i mean there are a lot of softer aspects on what do you want uh, from your life right and this will probably go a little bit special that way right like if you are very early on and you have a higher risk taking capacity although i feel as an entrepreneur that you know you can like the right time is now right you're never too young never too old for anything sure. uh, but there may be a lot of external factors that you are sort of considering so when it comes to judging a company i think uh, the founding team is very very critical right who are you going to be led by who are your founders what is their vision do they have a solid vision do they have a bigger term longer term vision right or is it just about ki jo chal raha hai wo chalte rehne do bik raha hai beshte raho right and typical dhanda wala jo hota hai jo matlab like a chandni chowk market for lack of better examples right ki they are happy with what they are doing and they are making their money and they are like some are complacent uh, some are complacent right i i think like for me personally it is a lot about working with hustlers uh it is a lot about people wanting to you know overshoot right their mm. targets and have bigger ambitions whether or not you achieve big or not but you know your thinking has to be big ambition wise again i think personally for me one thing that i as well looked for was the funding that the company has right uh, i have worked in a 0 to 1 and 1 to 10 sort of a setup right like sure. i know the challenges that comes with bootstrapping a business and there is a certain time if you have that time sure go work with a company and big you know bet big on a very very small setup where you may not essentially get paid enough initially and then it may pay off or may not pay off right just go for what of course yeah yeah for me even like and you know this question ties back to my thought as well when i was planning to scale down jhumal should i get investors because there were a lot of conversations happening with a couple of folks because it was profitable and growing mm. gifting spaces increasing uh, i just did not want that pressure of investors without a clear brand vision mm. right and uh, that is where i decided that you know if that is my angle and if i don't want that then maybe the company has to have a certain specific level of cash flows right so understanding those cash flows understanding the inventory management understanding those basic ratios which tell you that a company has that necessary money to at least feed you for the next one year two years whatever is something that you know uh, you know you have to look at right. so uh and then of course the growth opportunities right so money growth and then the founders like the founding team i think these were like some like three of the most critical things that i was judging at awesome. so now you the growth guy daily objects yeah what does life look like in the first quarter uh so 
you know like while on paper growth profiles are supposed to be you know about you know making these plans and strategies and growing forward uh executing big shot ideas i think a major part of my role is just firefighting you know um is or was or still remains i think it still remains and it is going to be that way mm. right and even when you look at our founder he is constantly fighting fires right uh you know most of uh, even my time just goes in you know strategizing um between pankaj and i we keep on strategizing having these brain uh, brainstorming sessions and networking right at at that stage i mean pankaj is networking way more than i am but at my stage it's it's a lot about uh, you know strategizing with him well, and so networking this is about investors suppliers customers both, everything, everything everything right like yeah. from a bigger lens right sure. and which is why the you know middle management layer is there uh to you know sort of facilitate you know the idea that you know say the either of the founder is having and then sort of translating that mm. into operations and then you know the entire team is sort of executing so something the execution that. lens execution engine has to be like fairly functional to keep it agile and effective absolutely you know, the lens that i apply to this mm. is from a startup founder's lens yeah. when is a good time to get a growth team together and how should they kind of build scale and stability and process around that because that's mm. a choice that people sometimes postpone sometimes it's too early sometimes it's too late yeah. so in your impression from the way you entered and you played this out what yeah. was let's say the whole org lens to that okay now we're ready to handle a head of growth who will have this charter mm. or you know things like that sure so i think my personal opinion on this uh, and i'm not sure how uh, pankaj would have thought when he got me uh, of course the team had to be built in but um, you know what i feel is that as long as a founder can someone who is growing right like a company they need to know everything about everything right or you know at least at till a certain point of time so there is a certain period of time where the founder himself or herself is doing all of those activities to the extent that they can do those activities i think that is where it should sort of you know stretch sure. out to the extent that they feel that there are like the cost of there are is worth you know more spending somewhere else hmm. uh, i think that is the pivotal point where they should hire someone in growth hmm. and again uh, that is very critical because you may have resource constraints and you may have a skill set constraint but i think earlier the better as compared to later um but yeah like founders need to spend time into you know bigger things and bigger growth plans and strategies was the whole acquisition that's where the money gets spent so pretty much yeah. uh, the paid media led kind of plays right yeah. so from that lens uh, it could be a skill gap as well as the level of attention the subject needs and the kind of mindset yeah. that it yeah. deserves so somewhere the founder has to take that stance ki, okay i am not able to do justice to this anymore yeah. let me bring somebody at the same time uh, from a cost lens it's not yeah. necessarily simple answer because a good guy will not be the cheapest guy Absolutely. and if you have to build the team a little top down was that the lens here so i think uh, yeah uh, it was to sort of you know uh, make more structure into build more structure into the company because you know there were it's like at a startup especially with us it's a fairly flat structure right sure. while there are hierarchies uh, defined mm-hmm. hierarchies somewhere get mm-hmm. the you know the slightly s- senior guy or smarter yeah. guy or bigger guy or mm. you know more expensive guy first yeah. and then let him build this out or you yeah. say that I'm going to let's it make do with couple of these junior guys yeah. and then it's the right time I'll bring in somebody senior because yeah. the appetite the mindset to invest sometimes is also in question yeah so i mean which is a problem that i think most founders are facing these days because the intent to get good people at the right price is always there but a lot of times what you actually want them to do is not really clear so for a lot of these founders it's essentially a bet you take on that person mm. right so even uh, when i joined or the person before me the head of growth joined uh, i think it was a lot about you know there are a lot of problems we are not sure which bucket does this problem fit in but can you help us solve most of these problems 
right and then once you sort of solve these problems you realize okay this is more towards this one person's department and these problems are more linked to say a design team these persons are more sure. linked to marketing and growth team and then the next person when that person moves out that is when you know ki okay this is the hierarchy this is the structure that we need to follow so it's a lot of you know uh, trying out a lot mm. uh, building those roles a lot though in some sense is also mm. about the kind of guys you're getting in are slightly fluid in terms of the different things that they can yeah. pick up right because yeah. you pretty much been a one man army in your previous yeah. place which means if you were to solve problems across any part of the organization you could do that but i don't know if the supply of this kind is very common because most people who will come in if they were to try and build a team they would be mm-hmm. coming in from somewhere they've done something specific which is slightly narrow slightly more vertical so from that lens is that a, a fair filter or would you recommend that filter to be applied that this guy has to be a multifaceted guy if he's your first mm-hmm. growth hire uh so i think it's you can't answer that very plainly universally, sure. yeah universally i think it's a lot of luck Mm-hmm. Right, it's it's no, not not. <laughs> I think no luck, element of luck, right? To the extent, yeah. at least from a people side, uh, to the extent yeah. you can prevent that luck element, you would want to. You would, right? But you know, when you are sort of running that startup, which is say at least from a daily objects perspective, right? Like, let's just change the perspective from mine to say my founder and the sure. company is right. The company is growing two x, two x, two x in the past couple of years. Yearly, right? yearly, yearly two x. Yearly two x, right? Year on year. uh you are building the team you are realizing that you know you have figured out your vision and you are sort of doing good things things are growing you are getting that traction uh what is that next pivotal point how do you do that is that is a next pivotal point coming from the design side is it going to come from operation side is it com- going to come from say a marketing or a growth side uh you don't necessarily have the exact answers but you mm. have an intuitive sense right sure. and i feel as a founders Uh, founder's perspective their intuitive sense is the strongest right mm-hmm. so even when i discuss this with pankaj like it's our decision making for a lot of things is very simple right he tells me that if the answer is a maybe or if you are not sure it's a no right so you know a lot of things uh, you know like how he has helped me sort of thing, build up within myself is building that intuitive sense and that of course there's a lot of data driven approach right mm-hmm. the data is at the core of it but a lot of those final calls you're just not able to take so those intuitive senses are where sort of you know decisions get made and again i like i understand that you know this is not answering your question as candidly That's as you right. expect I mean, because uh, you know there is a bit of subjectivity but yeah i think uh, you know at the right stage uh, someone who you don't have to be skilled in 10 different things right but you have to empathize with each of the teams right so you prepare to hustle yeah so for example the growth uh, the tech team would tell me that you know this is not possible from a tech perspective the design team will tell me ki you know this is the ui we have developed some something very fancy and this is what we need to get out and the tech will say this is not happening right so how do you bring those teams together how do you sort of tell them ki okay this is their side this is their side because the design won't understand tech tech won't understand design so you need someone to facilitate whether you know they may not understand the complete design or complete tech but you need to tell them and sort of you know collaborate with them in a way that they understand this is a good enough level right mm. you have to meet this middle ground and facilitating those themes um managing those projects right i think that is essentially what i try to do Hmm. right and uh, that kind of a role i feel is very critical i don't understand the most about design or like in depth sure. about tech right but i know enough to sort of bring you know my tech leads or my design leads together to tell them ki okay this is the problem you both have to or you know all three of us have to sort of you know understand uh, how a good enough solution needs to come and then optimization will happen over a period of time right. so it's about getting things executed right ideas are great it's great to have like top notch ideas 
but you know uh, you have to start somewhere mm. so it's more about getting things executed and then optimizing rather than just like living in an extreme uh, idealistic situation and never getting things done fair so i think so that has agreed backward math on it because your current yeah. scale in 2x 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 backwards yeah. but when you entered what was the nature of scale so i think when i had just entered i entered was about uh, january of last year right so almost 2 years into it uh on our website we were doing about 1.92 crores of revenue per month hmm. and now we are almost doing 5 and a half 6 crores sure. uh, per month and of course this is just on the platform and apps yeah. there is marketplaces and corporate is also picking up in parallel force right course. so even that yeah, has grown exactly. uh, 2x so of course a lot of the growth is being led by the own platform right mm. almost 65% of our sales is contributed by okay. our platform and apps as against a lot of players where you know their marketplaces or amazon first sure. um and so that's the nature of the you know that's where i'm going to mm. get to the brand and yeah. the proposition and the loyalty in this segment uh, and you know what's the whole story about daily objects sure so i think uh, daily objects uh, started in 2012 right um, entered into the market selling phone cases and a lot of other tech products over the years they developed the insight into understanding what is it that they want to sell what is it that they want to sort of represent and uh, be known for um so you know to sum it up in just one line we are essentially solving for and building for modern lifestyle so you know modern lifestyle encapsulates canvas to do stuff everything which is what ties back to the name as well right daily mm. objects you yeah. can have pretty much anything as a daily objects but what uh, you know sort of narrowing down into it we, we sort of think that daily objects we sort of want daily objects to be present at the intersection of tech and lifestyle right mm. so you have products which are not only functional but they are also good looking there is a certain design sense behind it there is a certain storyline and that flows not just into our user segmentation or our product segmentation but into every smaller thing say the choice of raw material that we are using the color palette that we are using right there are tons of greens that you will find in the market but the greens that you will see on our website would be things that you may not have seen elsewhere right sure. so a lot of research goes into it a lot of sort of you know insight goes into mm-hmm. it a lot of study goes into it and this is why the design consciousness sort of says something that resonates to our audience right people go in for the look of it and for the functionality of it so there are like you know when you look at players there are either the cheaper alternatives that you will get on amazon which are like extremely lower price and you will get them for 3 500 bucks whatever or you have those very premium brands which sure. are say 20 25k plus so in india there is no specific uh, brand per se right who's delivering that quality and that premiumness with a design and functionality mm. focus right so this is our gap that we have identified that you so know lifestyle aspirational premium. slightly mass premium that's mass less. premium is essentially like when we try to shine and on. which is a fairly fast growing segment and that's a yeah. sort of sweet spot in some sense yeah. and the kind of let's say portfolio you're carrying there's absolutely amazing room for great lifetime value yeah Absolutely. Right. I mean, for people who resonate with this, who like something they purchase, are bound to come back for more. Absolutely. And that reminds me of the forty-nine percent annual repeat rate that you just yeah. spoke to us about. Yeah. Let's just zoom into this a little bit in terms of uh, where you were back then, in terms of uh, the whole infra around uh, mm-hmm. retention, or at least watching retention for mm-hmm. all I know, and how the product catalog has evolved, how the business and uh, the customer engagement has evolved mm-hmm. to now make it, let's say, a much higher lifetime value in a very consistent, profitable fashion because. Sure. I'm assuming you're watching your rewards and they have to be maintained healthy Absolutely. so I'm not going to delve too far into it we've mm. had that conversation before mm. but just the lens on a consumer engagement depth and the product portfolio expansion to keep mm. this relationship going with your sure. with your you know core segment of audience sure. so I think uh, from a product perspective uh, instead of expanding I think we have sort of you know narrowed it down to make it more focused 
um so it used to be a lot of uh, when it started uh, it used to be a lot about phone cases and tech accessories and then you know i think just about 3 years back is when we launched our first uh, designer bags collection and you know it was essentially made of canvas and like very high functionality and very uh, you know out there for the younger mindset and uh, that was our first foray into designer goods and uh, we realized that you know it's been going insanely well really fast and that is when we sort of you know started moving more into the designer goods category which is your bags uh, your wallets um your backpacks your tote bags your sling bags your fanny packs right uh, because these are essentially uh, daily use items right mm. especially for our younger uh, audiences which is our core um these products resonate a lot so having that pivotal shift from just say you know 80 90% tech accessories to a now a very healthy mix between uh, you know tech accessories wireless solutions desk accessories and uh, you know these lifestyle designer goods it's equally divided the portfolio is kind of substantially more huh. non tech as well in some sense so uh, yeah so non tech as well so from a tech to a design is the leap that we sort of you know consciously took but in some sense mm -hmm. uh, would i love to understand a little better when you made these shift was this about expanding the tam or the use cases or the occasion in the same users life what was the lens while getting into these things so this is like an apostrophe mm -hmm. you identified and you have to be expanding in that direction what was sure. the lens so i don't think it was more about uh, just the time thing it was more about building an ecosystem which makes sense mm -hmm. right so in a daily objects uh, setup right if you are trying to solve for modern lifestyle what are we trying to solve right so the user is at the uh, you know for front mm -hmm. at the, is at the front right so what what encapsulates what are the elements that encapsulate a user's daily routine right so a user is going to carry their cell phone a user is going Word to using in the huh, fmcg world is occasions right that's right, what they were these these it. occasions right so what is it that comprises the day to day of our audience right so trying to understand that mm. so you know when we looked at that lens right either it's office or it's you know college going students or it's office going uh, people mostly we are looking at professionals but the younger audience as well mm. but in a day to day life you are hustling you are moving out uh, you are connected with tech so solving for that tech and the accessories that support that tech or built around that tech right so our laptop sleeves our bags they are very functional so they will support your laptop they will support your other accessories there are solutions for charging cases but am i buying this for the functionality of it or there's a blend of the what it says about me in some mm -hmm. sense there's a statement piece right because you're making design a lot more democratized in some yeah. sense you have a fancy designer but that stuff is not as premium so mm -hmm. it's accessible for me if i want to make a statement yeah. about what i'm carrying yeah. is that a fair lens to apply yeah absolutely i mean we are looking at bringing good design at an affordable price right? so as a consumer who's part of your core audience uh, i will end up having these 20 different occasions in my day and yeah. at this point from your portfolio lens you're covering let's say maybe five of them yeah. and the direction to move in would pretty much be to cover the remaining 15 and then absolutely. discover the next bunch as well absolutely but what's very interesting is and kind of unique to your business is the number of occasions you can capture with the same brand positioning and the same audience segment mm -hmm. is quite insane mm -hmm. which is probably was reflecting in the lens on lifetime value and repeats Absolutely. so help us uh, understand this whole you know user journey in your mm -hmm. ecosystem a little better because you will have various kinds of uh, campaigns on the acquisition side running acquire people at different entry yeah. points in terms of product categories or life yeah. stages and then they evolve into consuming more So, what's typically the entry point? What's typically the journey? Have you discovered something that works well as an acquisition category versus mm. a repeat and cross sell category? What's been your discovery there? Sure. So, um, you know, it's fairly category agnostic. I would say uh, people, you know, like the uh, when we when we try to look at data and analyze patterns, right? So. uh the portfolio when it was more uh, sort of skewed towards the tech accessories of course tech accessories were selling more sure right but now it's fairly divided uh, and the, the first order side of things you know when you acquire yeah. new customers where yeah. do they come from 
So uh, mostly we are acquiring customers through social media, right? Of okay. course, that's a given yeah, uh, for most D2C brands. And uh, that is where we are sort of, you know, mm. uh, getting our first set of customers. Um, people are buying things across, right? There is no specific uh, so, so fair product mix <clears throat> in terms of what's getting bought. Yeah. But in terms of your acquisition spends, is there an allocation towards I'll do more for bags and less for this or this, anything of that nature? Not particularly. Not, no. not, not particularly because, sure. I mean, of course, there are certain stellar products and stellar collections that mm. we want to focus more on, sure. which are more designed forward, say, an artist-led collection or a mm. collection mm. which we have invested a lot of time. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have... Sorry, tons of SQs across our catalog. Sure. So we want to focus more on the premium ones and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, scale down the ones which are sort of, you know, old. So mm. originality and innovation is something which is very core to Would our be, product so process. So the catalog kind of recycles in terms of yeah. being completely fresh catalogs every three months or whatever? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. So when I talk about, uh, you know, new launches, so to speak, or category refresh, so every month we are doing at least two artist collaborations wow. uh, who mostly design phone but cases. But there's not expansion, there's a degree of replacement involved because you will kill some things to make this. Uh, so yes, so killing happens slower and sure. addition happens faster. Um, and then there are, uh, you know, every year at least two major bags collection is what we are doing. So this mm. year we launched Pangea collection, which is made out of 100% recycled plastic bottles. Sure. So that has been going really great. And, you know, there are these stellar tech products which are sort of you know one-off in nature hmm. and then regu regularly we keep on sort of you know adding smaller products say pouches or small bags within the collection. So consumers hmm. are coming into the brand daily objects yeah. via multiple entry points. They Absolutely. could have come in with a phone accessory, Absolutely. maybe they could have come with a tech or maybe they could have come with a, come with yeah. a handbag, any yeah. of these categories. And from a life cycle lens, uh, yeah. what's the degree of its understanding that okay if he's coming through this path this is where he's likely going to go and this is my next best uh, offer to him because yeah. automatically if you're able to let's say make the guy you know the word I hear in D2C world is a mm. glue frequency right yeah. once he's bought four times chances he'll buy again is like 80-90% yeah. but to get the first four transactions often becomes a challenge because people yeah. will drop off from the first to the second in a very very steep way Yeah. so from your lens given that your mm -hmm. you know year level repeat is pretty amazing yeah. I would imagine there'll be a ton of first to second kind of uh, repeats right so, uh, you know, like the data that we actually know for sure is that, you know, when a person is purchasing, say, an X amount, the second purchase is typically higher. So people are oh. moving upwards, right? Okay. So it's not that someone has purchased a bag and then they're moving to phone case. If someone has purchased a bag, say, for 2000, they are likelier to move to a more premium bag, say, at 3000. Are you also right? super conscious of your acquisition being, let's say, transaction one level itself profitable? I mean, you'll cap yeah. your ROAS at a level where it doesn't become a lossy transaction in the first one. No, I think uh, from the first transaction, from the CAC to LTV ratio, I mean, from the CAC level, at first, it has to be profitable and CAC to LTV has to be even higher. The moment you're profitable in the first order, the rest of it is all bonus, right, in some yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, a lot of the stickiness comes through building these affiliate networks, okay. right? Uh, which contributes a significant part of our so uh, so affiliate. Is this the influencers on Instagram or what kind of affiliates are we talking about? So both, right? Affiliates, uh, like the primary affiliates that I'm talking about are not uh, influencer related, but they are more towards, uh, you know, these channels, say, these websites. There are affiliate programs that we have built for YouTube influencers. Um, so for us, it's a fairly distinct, uh, you know, differentiation between an influencer who's on an affiliate basis and an influencer who's from a branding perspective. Sure. And we oh, you made that distinction very clear. Yeah, we have made so that. There's a ton of confusion around this: how to deal with yeah. influencers better. Where do you cap out uh, in terms of the impact expected? Because yeah. there's some amount of brand top of the funnel play, and then there's some amount yeah, of very yeah. transactional bottom of the funnel play. Yeah. So I think influencer uh, and attribution of influencers is a very key challenge for most D 2 C. Most brands. Uh, I think for a lot of it, we have figured out what we want to do and how we want to do it. Right? I think and the category is quite 
influencer friendly right it is very influencer friendly i would imagine if you were to start running that chinese style yeah. e-commerce stuff you will end up yeah, yeah. having stuff flying off the shelves yeah so the good thing about us is that you know like uh, you know the inf- like people content creators right no, not calling them influencers but content creators are sort of you know um and naturally inclined towards our products so more than us reaching out to influencers and say paying oh, or yeah. either agreeing on a barter or whatever people are already endorsing the brand right so every day we are getting like at least 15 20 people who have tagged us and created content that we anyway love right sure. so we don't really necessarily have to like and this is now this is not say 2 years or 3 mm-hmm. years back but it has sort of picked up with so the new testament to your portfolio and its appeal to the it's audience it's a testament right? to our portfolio right so this sort of uh, helps us understand what is working better mm-hmm. for us what is the direction where to sort of slightly pivot it's even more what is the growth loop automatically in motion yeah and then on the like when we pay we make sure that we are getting our buck out of it right of so the affiliate uh, influencer program sort of works out that way mm-hmm. and we have realized that for us youtube works a lot better yeah. when it comes to monitoring conversions and the actual mm-hmm. conversions right so But is that uh, straight click stream based conversion or is there another lens to it uh so i mean it's essentially like we are using a lot of attribution mechanisms to sure. figure out who is getting what revenue there mm. there is there's a probabilistic model where we are analyzing traffic then we are looking at the net increase in sales compared to say a week's okay. average mm. and then sort of building that model where we know ki okay this is the influencer who actually contributed right. whether or not yeah. ga attributes it or not or whether or not our But pixel sort of there's a level of sophistication in this data setup is there like yeah. a tech stack that you kind of employed for this or is this all built in house with whatever data no, so i mean it is a tech start built on in house uh, team resources right so i think you know um, stepping back a little on to the retention piece right mm-hmm. when you asked me about the journey um, i think one of the most critical pivotal points was to build our own app uh, sure. and that piece has been very instrumental mm-hmm. in us building and increasing our retention rate Uh, and also engaging with so aspirational lifestyle category people will keep browsing browsing when they like something they'll buy is yeah. that the general lens to it i mean i think uh, you are just more, like if you have an app right you are more likely to purchase and be more conscious and be more aware of what is happening with that brand rather than you know otherwise because you know there are a lot of people mm-hmm. take a step at getting apps out but a lot mm-hmm. of brands don't necessarily resonate extremely well to have an app I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. if i'm going to buy something from you once a year i'm not going to keep yeah. an app on my phone But if I'm constantly, sure. you know, I've, I've seen people who have these H and M's and Zara apps because there's going to be a new collection that you want to keep browsing every once in a while. You'll pick up something, save to your wish list, yeah. add to your cart, and then the downstream automated engagements will make you tempted to buy. Yeah. So in some sense, having the app on your phone is a certain mind share you've already given to that brand. Yeah. And the constant reminders become a certain, let's say, affinity driver as yeah. well. So you chose to have an app at certain point, and the intent there was to enable more frequent engagements, yeah. frequent touches. Yeah, absolutely. And I think not just in terms of engagement, even in terms of conversions, we like our conversions on our apps are three to four times higher sure. than on the website. Right. This would also be organic opens versus triggered opens specific nudges. Uh, so be the I mean, it is both, right? At the end of the day, uh, you know, we look at organic at a certain benchmark level. Ki, mm. Okay, this is organic, and this is the retention rate over apps. So of course, apps have a much higher organic traction, of course. Um, but you know the contribution that our apps have on our overall portfolio is very very significant. Um, I can imagine that. Yeah, so which is where uh, you know the community building happens, and like when we launched our app, uh, you know, investing in our own tech team was I think one of the biggest uh, you know, like it was a big success story for us. Yeah. Right? Um, moving yeah, from a shop right for a DTC sorry. brand to end up having an own own tech team. Most companies yeah. at this scale won't probably have that kind of scale of tech team. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it was just like I think some good investors or some networks advice. Uh, you know, I thank Pankaj Kio. Okay, this is great, right? Because yeah, you know, that, uh, it's when not you are, so universal advice because a lot of brands might not necessarily need one or 
we yeah. f- we will do find similar value absolutely like you know when you look at like bigger players even some of these audio brands who are doing 1500 1500 crore or like 2000 crore revenue they are all built on a, like a basic shopify store so yeah, that's okay good which is okay for yeah. them because they have limited skus uh but when you look at sort of you know going deeper into the marketing funnel personalizing that is where shopify i feel sort I of becomes a challenge yeah, I mean, right so um, the catalog size beyond a certain level and the kind yeah. of audience segment you want to deal with and the aspirational yeah. nature of your product new collections coming in yeah. every month you want to have a high touch with your consumers yeah. because yeah. they will engage more often and buy more often absolutely so that is where we developed our own tech team and even the app we have is not a very basic app right it is very very smooth very fast with the nicest tech possible the deepest algorithms in place and like you know a lot of iterations and development going on so hats off to the tech team and pankaj uh, and sorov for, for that for having that choice made yeah, very clearly for, right, yeah because time. it was not easy right mm-hmm. like i think we were on magento back then and to have everything move to a custom platform with mm-hmm. like a new tech team uh or like you know developing this new project That's building right. all sort of from data sets to a little bit more often there because a lot of these projects end up falling apart yeah yeah absolutely and like the of course there have been multiple iterations of the app and it's much more stable like sure. it's very very stable now but mm. uh, it was a great decision that was taken back then and this is the time where it's sort of reaping the benefits of course so a lot of d2c brands that you know like i am in touch with uh, the founders and uh, who don't have apps i keep on telling them ki if you have like a fast moving product right it's even more so the reason that you need to sort of you My know have that is somewhere or the other the whole gospel install kind of mindset that you get into when you have mm. apps and this is a still a top of the funnel play because that guys get to transact certainly sure. the economics of the business start to look different because you're driving a bunch of installs and then you have to convert these installs into activations and sure. uh, before the guys log in you don't even know if it's already your customer what we've seen a lot of value however mm. is in the app ecosystem to let's say only nudge people who are let's say second transaction level people exactly. to start moving towards the app instead of trying to put to in everyone Yeah, sir. Because the economics of getting an app installed from this guy versus those guys are very different. Absolutely, I completely agree to that. I think for us, it's not only sort of you know having uh, you know a lifetime value angle, but it's also mm. more about sort of building that community. Sure. And which is why Dig deeper into this whole community lens. What does this mean on your app? Because it's a commerce app, but yeah. you also have a layer of. let's say conversation content uh, lifestyle yeah. what's happening right so uh, i think it you know the entire ecosystem has to have like a very common language right and that is defined by our brand values so sure. uh, so a lot of education happens through these apps right while you won't realize that this education is happening through i mean it is it's not always a push push product mm-hmm. push kind of a thing right it is education about, in the lifestyle category zoom into this a little bit for me yeah so education could be say you know we are launching a sustainability collection right okay. so talking a little bit about that we are talking about an artist so who is that artist what is that artist doing why is it relevant right so building into that uh, so again a lot of broadcast content as i would imagine of course yeah. this content is niches of content you could yeah. do But when you say community, is this yeah. people discovering other people and having conversations who resonate all with the same brand philosophy? So is that, that is the broader, uh, broader yeah. intention. That's the right? direction you want to move. That's on. the direction that we are actually moving mm-hmm. on, and we are looking at sort of you know working on our membership program, which won't okay. be just you know pay and get free discount, mm-hmm. but it will be a lot bigger than that. Sort of uh, you know engaging. Like we keep on doing a lot of these activities uh, in house, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that we are not bringing structure and we are not necessarily What's the core glue bringing people together. I mean, of course, the segment you're dealing with mm-hmm. has its own diverse preferences, and style is one great thing. But right. 
we were typically bringing people together as causes and you use sustainability as a lens so sustainability is, is one cause i think design forwardness and bringing mm-hmm. that utility out right design is what we want to sort of focus on okay While, so if you were to host a party mm-hmm. of let's say your top customers what would glue them together will end up being how they think about design adding to their life absolutely Something right like you know randomly a lot of times uh, you know customers end up coming to our office right just to pick up some products sure. fast so i uh, like i always make sure to take this opportunity to just like you know yeah. hold their hand and yeah. you know bring them on for a 10 minute question answer session on how did they find us where did they find us what was it that actually appealed them so mm. in almost uh, majority of the cases it is the design right it's not just a random brand ip printed on a phone case which they can buy from anywhere mm. right mm. but it's um, a certain style of art it's a certain style of design right so how do you sort of you know and people are more woke about these things right that we are buying things that represent certain things so what is it that you know they want to be represented by uh, you know beat a certain palette of colors right that is what we uh, you know that is what is so unique to us being a certain style is you talk mm-hmm. you speak about a woke audience which is having strong preferences about some yeah. of these things while your brand name essentially is daily objects which sounds if i didn't know about the brand at all it sounds very commodity i mean yeah. if i were to think of daily objects i think of daily objects as yeah. very very routine stuff yeah. so in some sense uh, and what's drawing people to you today it yeah. seems to be all the design aesthetic all the user research yeah. all the insights you brought in mm-hmm. but how does this translate into brand loyalty that anything daily objects does is now exciting for me sure so i think uh, there are multiple touch points that a user experiences with a brand right and they could be starting from you know how they experience the website ui how they sort of have their buying uh, journey how they discover you on social media what kind of campaigns you are doing what kind of uh, unboxing uh, experience are you having and uh, say a social angle that you are having so there are like tons of uh, touch points so we make sure that we should be conscious of how the brand comes across so across each and every points. touch point i think there is a very deep level of insight put into it ki when the customer is opening the package what is it that they are seeing first what is the content that they are experiencing when they are going to our social media right uh, if say we have a campaign for a postcard collection right we recently did a collection which was sort of you know uh, about cities and about postcards right so how do each of their campaign sort of work so tapping into the emotional angle of it right why uh, a certain city is a certain you know arouses a certain feeling mm-hmm. what colors do cities represent and all of that goes into the design process so all of that connects uh the user to the brand right and these smaller smaller emotional connects is what makes you you know sort of feel okay i really like this brand mm. right and that is where you sort of you know um become less about product push and more about story and emotions and that is sort of building that community for us right so what do people like right what do they want to see what do they want to experience right so it 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 will be a two way thing right like we share with the audience and the audience shares with us yep. what is it that they want So probably we spoke extensively about the amount of user insights you're gathering from a whole bunch of different yeah. dimensions. I look at life in two lenses, right? The growth happens either by getting new customers in or yeah. selling more to current customers. Yeah. And there's a ton of user insights coming your way from a lot of these Google Trends kind of spaces as well as from your own consumer data. Uh, how do you translate this into the insights that let you innovate on the product side of things? Sure. Help me understand this engine a little better. Sure. So I think uh, like a key part of the growth role, right? When I talk specifically about the growth team, is the data, right? So. on a daily weekly monthly level we are continuously analyzing data trying to find out patterns right because it can get chaotic you know you know working with so much data 
so something as simple as you know maybe you know identifying colors that are working well right so for a collection that is launched we'll know ki okay red is selling well green is selling well why is it you know, selling well it sounds well? pretty simple every single yeah. product that you have to upload has to yeah. have that attribute called color which is not the case oh. with a lot of brands yeah yeah no so i think this again translates uh, translates back to our tech stack as well where we force our tech team and like literally bug I them i want this 20 more data points put this put this tag put this tag put that thing And your catalog team will also hit you for all the additional attributes that you put on every single product, right? So I mean, I think when we developed the system out initially, uh, I think it was challenging, but now it's fairly streamlined. So yeah, it's not really they like what comes out of it eventually. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's a fairly simple structure. It's just like uploading sheets, figuring out attributes, and mm-hmm. I think it's a very easy, easy tagging system. So what surprised right? you in the last, let's say, couple of weeks? You know, also something uh, recently happened just yesterday only, right? So day before yesterday. So you know, we have a X amount of sale every day, and out of nowhere on Sunday, we saw like almost a forty percent spike. Okay. Ah, uh, in sales, same ad spend, uh, no changes on tech, no changes, no launches, anything, right? And like you know, ah, uh, similar thing happened last year as well. So we were shocked last year. We weren't this year, right? And it was mostly because we realized that you know it's linked. to these big billion and amazon sales and it was the last day on sunday for one of these marketplaces so while main tech products are getting sold lifestyle accessories at our sort of you know uh, platform take that increment right so conversion rates increases and so we will uh, buy phones there and then cases here is it exactly wow so last year we were completely baffled and why is this happening mm. and then over the period of different sales we sort of you know somehow uh rationally and irrationally combined we figured out that you know this is the likely scene uh this is a theory right this is a thesis and like let's test this out two three other sales and like you know we would see that jump so now we plan for it in advance ki okay this is the sale right. stock up inventory work on crazy offers and capitalize on that sort of make movement, the most of it right? by all means so that so back is to the engine and innovation on the yeah. product side of thing and you spoke about two engines that were running for you yeah. let's get to that sure so i mean like you know when we talk about two engines one is the cycle which gets initiated through data and the other is which gets initiated with design um when we talk about data led approaches right so there are a lot of insights that we understand uh, by looking at not just the data but also like our uh, user feedback on comments our reviews and like all of that is being analyzed within the growth team itself right uh, in you know in conjunction with other teams as well but the data part of it is mostly handled by the growth team hmm. so for example there is a certain x product and uh, you know we realize that you know people Uh, are randomly buying more of that product right uh, say watch bands for example right people are buying two or three watch bands not like you know there is a x percentage who are just buying one but there is a overwhelmingly large percentage of people buying three or buying two or more than three as well right so what does that represent and why right so we dive deep into the why is we do the heat mapping of the user journey we speak to a lot of customers and that is where we realize that you know uh watch bands is essentially uh, an accessory that you wear uh, match with, match it with your outfit match it with sure. your attire match it with your style right hmm. and you keep on changing this almost every day right wow. so which is why from a psychological perspective uh, a watch band is something that people are likely to buy more right say phone case you have you may not necessarily change it every day every but you may change it say in a gestation mm-hmm. period of a month bags you may sort of carry it for even longer but like you know accessory smaller accessories you may want to say a small pouch or a fanny you may want to sort of you know purchase more of so you sort of bundle these and create offers around that where you sort of you know work on maybe say lower margins but higher absolute uh order value. order value so this is mm-hmm. what drives the traction uh, and you know like this is just one example so this is very you know mm-hmm. logical mathematical kind of driven outcome right. right then there's this other side which you said is very design led yeah. yeah. and i was kind of curious when you scale at the pace yeah. at which you are somewhere you can't run a democracy yeah. you can't purely be dependent on data driven answers as well because Absolutely. there's a design aesthetic sense and judgment and some of those are possibly bets 
Yeah. Somebody has to take that stance, right? So how do you make that happen in your world? Sure. So I think, uh, you know, like the most critical part about us being a design forward company is that, uh, you know, our hiring or like our team building also happens with that in mind, right? Like almost 80% of our audience is, uh, 80% of our employees are under like 27 years old. So this is a very heavy uh, Gen Z and millennial sort of so led company. every one of them like a heavy, heavy customer to you as well in some sense? I'm assuming they get employed yeah, discounts. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, everyone has bought at least once or twice uh, within the company. Which is great because your consumer research can pretty much happen out of office as well. Yeah, yeah and like some, some of our like, you know, core design people, uh, you know, are leading uh, a lot of these freshers, like 20, 21 years old, absolutely crazy Gen Zs, right? While it's very hard to manage some of them at times, <laughs> uh, because, you know, like it's, 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 I think two generations worth of gap, not just one generation worth of gap, right? Um, but, but is that a conscious choice design? It is a conscious choice yeah. design. Yeah, it is a Sorry, conscious I choice design. Between. No, that's fine. So while it's difficult to deal with them, I think, you know, when you sort of um, rare these Gen Z's in a beautiful way and sort of give them their space, uh, they have a lot of potential, right? They have a lot of ideas and they are open to things that you wouldn't have thought of, right? Mm. Even as a millennial, uh, you wouldn't have like you maybe X amount of creative, but like they will think completely out of the box and they may be exposed to a lot more cultures and pop culture, uh, you know, sort of influences than you would, you wouldn't have even heard of, right? It's quite intriguing that the yeah. target audience you want to deal with as a customer is yeah. populated probably half of your office yeah. which most brands are not able to do because yeah. the people who are thinking in the boardroom and thinking are very different to the kind of market they're selling yeah. to. No, this is what I feel drives the innovation factor right because um, you know you can only search on Google so much and you can only sort of you know look at trends on Instagram sure. so much you have to have a core part of your audience across different teams, right? Mm -hmm. So Gen Z is in marketing, Gen Z is in design, Gen Z is in, and Gen Z millennials in your tech team as well. So all of these creative fields, you need to have younger people who can sort of think outwards. Uh, and that is what has sort of paid off, right? So when it comes to the design process, uh, while we, you know, we have a very strong community of artists uh, within the network that has been mm -hmm. developed over the years, uh, a lot of it is being like consistently brainstormed uh, within the team, right? Like people have specific opinions on why they feel this design would work and this way of putting a design works, right? It's not just about pasting a design on a product just because we can, it's about the why of it, right? So innovation in that sense, in innovation in the design, innovation in the kind of add-ons that we want to build, whether mm -hmm. it's for an Apple ecosystem or in our bags, right? That is what we try to do. And like, it's a very healthy collaborative discussions. Uh, there is no discrimination judged uh, done based on the age because you know like the folks that we are You're working together know. they they know their stuff right they surprisingly know their stuff and they know it very well than maybe some experienced veterans in the industry as well okay uh, so uh, on the whole team side itself yeah. right in terms of the kind of functions you pretty much have yeah. a fair representation from yeah. uh, the gang and I also heard that you do a lot of your content work in-house, pretty much yeah. all of your content in-house. Yeah, right? pretty all much the... all of it is uh, done in-house only. And I think a lot of thought goes into, you know, uh, how uh, a new launch is going to happen, mm -hmm. right? So when we talk about a new launch, so there is a user research, there's a market research, there is a material research, there is prototyping, sampling, and then the campaign, and then the storyline behind it. And then so it goes. Prototyping, right? sampling, campaign, just zoom into this a little bit, because yeah. are we saying that this is going to get open to a limited audience first? We'll see the response and then we'll no, see. No, no, so prototyping, when it means just internal development development and prototype, yeah the product okay. and then based on the product the campaigns happen right so all of this while you know like it can be explained in 10 seconds the actual work that goes behind it is like 
quite long of right it, a lot of our collections it has taken almost a couple of years to launch just because you know finalizing the vendors say for example our pangea collection uh, there are literally uh, one or two vendors who are producing this material within india right wow, in the okay. quantities that we need uh so figuring those out figuring out the quality fine tuning things getting you know our employees to sort of do a test run of the samples uh use them so all of that But takes time and this kind of becomes a bit of a mandate and becomes a bigger bet as well so yeah. you have to come with a larger conviction to be able to make, make that kind of time and effort and money investment Absolutely. on the other side you have a fairly uh, interesting bunch of tactical possibilities and this is yeah. Let's say quick to roll out and we'll do yeah. great business this season and we'll phase yeah. it out next season. Yeah. So in some sense, the whole longevity of the collection that you're building, whatever is mm. coming in versus whatever is going out. You yeah. spoke about the fact that uh, there's new stuff happening more frequently and the phasing out is slightly slower. Yeah. So your catalog continues to expand yeah. at a certain length. But is this a sense of let's say experiment pilot with let's say a small group of TG and mm. then take a larger batch because it's also an inventory led business in some sense. Right. And it's also going to be potentially a whole bunch of unsold inventory mm. which would be a nightmare to deal with subsequently. So how do you look at this lens of uh, test and scale versus innovate and hope that it will play out? Sure. So I think for the smaller, uh, smaller collections, say like say designer phone cases where we are collaborating with artists, it's a fairly, uh, fairly faster process, right? We can sample quite fast, uh, print quite fast, and test out quite fast. We don't even maintain, like, you know, like even inventory management is quite sorted for lean. us. Uh, it's mm -hmm. very lean for phone cases, so it's a fairly risk-free uh, approach for us, sure. right? uh again the second uh, part of it uh, on the designer of uh, on the design launches of the bigger collections right so as you mentioned conviction is needed right so it's not like you know if we have spent one one two years on a collection uh, we can't afford to pirate it with a small person it has to sort of, of go like in in, in like a 99% probability of course we won't put out something which is not looking nice um but the conviction essentially happens through the network of people that we are sort of surrounded with mm. uh being a very design led company um you know we are connected with a lot of designers a lot of people in the industry a lot of veterans even within the team right like the people are very very design forward so i think the opinions of multiple people while design could be subjective uh, there is a very heavy conviction made on a specific collections and the iteration process also goes through a lot of feedback uh beat with other designers in the network beat with investors beat with you know employees sure. beat with uh, the design team right so enough feedback gets taken The and one enough thing use now, cases all this homework there still be yeah. some sudden bomb yeah yeah i mean something or the other always goes wrong but i think uh, you know no i'm probably mm -hmm. not necessarily getting the kind of love that you expected because mm -hmm. at the end of the day there is going to be a consumer who will behave in a fashion which you didn't yeah. anticipate and i'm curious about this because i spoke to a large uh, beauty brand and they had a large batch of a certain kind of lipstick produced mm -hmm. which didn't work out very well Now either you write it off and you kind of destroy this inventory, mm. or you somehow put in an offer and sell it to whoever yeah. you wants to buy as a first-time consumer. In your world, when stuff, <clears> let's say, doesn't necessarily respond in the same as planned, mm. how do you deal with it? So, um, like being completely transparent, I think it has rarely happened. Um, at least in the two years that you I've been kind of managed small mm. batches, so it never gets to that point. You might not make it again, exactly. but whatever so, you made is going to get over. Yeah, yeah. Um, things have sold right like there is not one collection that i could think of in say the designer goods which hasn't worked uh, well and designer goods is where you know a longer gestation period uh, is entailed but there's also mm. this lens of squeezing the most out of that collection before you kind of Absolutely. call it a day out the next batches so right? one is uh, like so so one part of it is the hedging aspect of it that you talk uh, spoke about right how do you hedge it so <laughs> i um, like the see you talking yeah <laughs> So the hedging essentially happens because uh, we have like our in-house manufacturing facility, right? We have almost two fifty people working in the same office space, 
on a you know like on our payroll and like you know there are additional co uh, contract employees as well so uh, you know for the most part of it our inventory is quite lean and there is a lot of just in time inventory right and a lot of it is done by analyzing the demand patterns and the search spikes so um, how we hedge is that we procure these raw materials and we'll make say 25 30 whatever x amount of units sure. of a specific sq mm. if it doesn't sell we'll push it out through some marketing tactics and then if the entire collection is not doing well which hasn't really happened as much with the bigger collections at least um with the same material we'll innovate and design and make something new out of it sure right because material is quite lean and yeah. like material research is good and we have like mm. a lot of flexibility uh to make more products out of the same in material in house manufacturing and 250 people is again yeah. a fair bit of commitment to the game right yeah. because yeah. no there's not things you can switch on switch off easily you can't yeah. expand capacity reduce capacity suddenly either yeah. so in some sense puts a bit of a controlled growth charter there yeah, absolutely. but is that 100% of your manufacturing in house uh so no so i mean we have like a part of it uh, outsourced well, so to contract manufacturers as well mm. yeah but mostly like majority of it happens in house and sure. of course uh during peak seasons or like when there is a demand surge we have like i think it's by design that we are sort of you know working with these contract employees uh contract manufacturers so that you know when the demand uh, spike happens we can sort of you know give some of the bandwidth to that side to meet those demands you know i'm very curious about <coughs> nap tunnel is being a growth guy you've got yeah. tentacles across so many different parts of the business yeah. how do you manage prioritization how do you manage time allocation how do you manage the team how do you mm -hmm. manage your numbers how do you manage your dashboards what's your lens to it um sure so i think a lot of it as i mentioned is just like you know firefighting and getting the daily things out of the place i make sure that within my team i encourage people to sort of you know take at least a day in so the week so what's a team like what, what are the kind of people that are sure. part of your org dedicated of course you have tentacles across yeah. most places yeah. but so dedicated to team would be about 5 6 people which has you know performance people uh, marketing people and then you have your growth and partnership people then you have someone who's a liaison between the operations and tech team uh and then you have <clears throat> even uh, across the bigger marketing team you have someone who you know two people who take care of the marketplaces angle of it what about the data so, gang where does it lie in the org so within the growth team itself okay within yeah. the growth team within and you have team. some engineering bandwidth as well available to do small optimizations yeah no i mean we have a full tech team so no, within the growth org because i mean i've seen that in consumer product companies mm -hmm. not necessarily in ecom but yeah. in their world is this so many little thing that they keep pointing to do within mm -hmm. the growth org that they don't want to become a ticket in the id line In right. your world, how does it work? No, so I mean, uh, it's it's a fairly integrated and flat team, right? So both tech and data team work together. Sure. So there are a lot of uh, elements which you know the data cannot by themselves figure mm. out through say an Excel or a Python. So then we go to the data team, uh, to the tech team, and they sort of They'll write some whatever. basic codes mm. and sort of help us out with our requirements. So it's not really as uh, formally structured that we have to go to someone, raise a request, and you know follow that entire structure. We're able to maintain the agility at current <clears throat> scale at least. absolutely mm. so that sort of helps us uh, so you talk about the five or six people growth on that side and you have mm. acquisition people you have uh, let's say the side on uh, marketplaces as part of the org yeah, yeah. and then there is conversion somebody looks at this no i think it's within the team within itself. the yeah. and and in terms of the whole retention lens of what kind of repeat let's say you're getting what kind of cohorts are working mm. well what's not working well what interventions are needed yeah. uh what's the org there what do they do on a daily basis how do they organizations so again this is again a part of the performance and data team itself mm -hmm. right so you know it's it's about say every every day what we are monitoring is the trends of the revenue right how early trends are moving how early revenue is moving uh, category wise say region wise aov wise 
So all of these things happen through real time monitoring. Mm. So you know there is dedicated people there are dedicated people who are doing this on a hourly basis and then of course there is deeper level of insights which is uh, on the data person right. So every week we'll come up with say 10 problem statements. They could be any problem statement say okay how can we increase sale of phone cases how can we uh, look at removing uh, excess SKUs these how are like can growth we... levers in some sense which become tactical projects and then they'll complete yeah. the loop and get into yeah. execution so a lot of these uh, data problems right like I think it's about identifying a lot of problems you don't know which one is necessarily the biggest sure. right uh, but once you sort of understand the data patterns will automatically start to emerge right this is the beauty of a data person that you know data is there but how do you make sense of that data how do you sort of look at uh, what is behind these numbers right is it sort of representing something big so a lot of times say we we'll, the problem statement for example could be uh, understand the buying pattern of someone who has purchased a bag first right what okay. are they buying next hmm. third time fourth time whatever in among the people who are repeat purchasing and that is where while you know this data is analyzed we'll realize that someone who's buying a bag is very highly likely to buy three watch bands random example right sure. and then we know that we need to bundle a bag and a bundle yeah. like this is not a real time example yeah, I can but imagine. like for but those are kind of insights I'll, i mean typical yeah. crossels would yeah. become much smarter because of this insight yeah, coming back absolutely and then say for example we'll try out you know bundling two products based on this data and that will hit off really well which has actually happened right sure uh, a lot of things right say for example we were selling uh, a power bank and a cable uh separately and then we decided that yeah while it's a wireless power bank some people might want to charge it manually as well and we started selling that bundle at an even higher price and it is selling better than the normal bundle right you can imagine so um, so sometimes there's a ton of compounding at play as well because these are incremental let's yeah. say thing that you will yeah. do every day which will eventually add up to like a lot of improvement overall absolutely absolutely it has to be that way and like you know one of our co-founders says that you know if you must fail fail fast right so that is what we keep on trying to do that you know we have to try out 10 things we know that probably it are not going to work but two can potentially take a very exponential scale right? so in some sense the the, the person <coughs> or the team or the set of people who design these experiments will pretty much be the key drivers of growth that you will try these 10 different things uh, in terms mm. of possibly these bundle combinations yeah. this pricing strategies yeah. this discounting strategies uh, i don't know what give me a few examples of some of these other growth experiments you do which so bundling i heard mm. what else So, for example, we you know spe- specific to the retention part of it, we launched uh, a SaaS platform which is doing reward points, right? So the burn and earn model. Mm. So while it sort of works mostly for fintech players, we thought we'll also try it out and okay. see how it works, and it's been contributing a very significant portion of our revenue. So people who uh, spend more with you get more points, and they yeah. can burn these points within the platform or outside. Within the platform. Within yeah, so the it's platform. a closed. That's clear. It's a closed. Yes, yeah, it's a closed loop. Okay, intention. and you've seen merit in. Significant. But that would typically happen in a category which is somewhere a commodity, and I have to choose between, let's say, an Amazon and a Flipkart, and I'll choose Amazon because I'm a Prime member. Yeah. But in your world, how does it kind of? So I think uh, you know, while say I I would have bought an X product, right? I won't bought I won't buy that same product again or like a similar product again. But the ecosystem is big that Dio develops, right? So the intent to buy more is already established. Okay. It's just about the you know the subtler nudges. to the customer ki okay this is also an offer this is also a reward oh, so this is also motivation put money in your wallet after yeah. your first transaction to make your second transaction that yeah. works well to bring people back yeah. in yeah. some sense and since yeah. you have the app that real time score of 
these points are there and they'll potentially expire yeah. unless you yeah. consume them will end up yeah. bringing people you back create that sense of urgency like you know these yeah. boilerplate marketing techniques sure. and those work really well that, right? that works out in your world uh, you okay. you think of a bigger strategy and then you use these conventional or like you know tried and tested theory with the right communication and content of course i mm. think that is the most critical you have to be subtle about your push you can't be very aggressive all the time and i think that plays off you tell me something about the segmentation lens in your world because there's mm-hmm. a ton of different consumer types or personas or psyches who are coming into your world mm-hmm. uh, you told me that the lens on product categories in terms of preference is fairly neutral you have agnostic bunch people coming in from the first transaction lens but beyond that from the first transaction to the second transaction is there a pattern that you see emerging that okay this is where the users are headed more or this is what we're able to or squeeze more juice out of let's say this customer tend to be more valuable to us than this bunch mm-hmm. so for example say we are doing uh, an annual sale right um, just timing it with uh, these marketplaces sale we also had a sale very recently around the festive campaign sure uh, so there are different sort of segmentations that happen right one is on the existing user base where we sort of tell them ki, okay uh, these are the offers that are going on and this is the extra value add like we know what they have purchased so what mm-hmm. are they likely to purchase is what we target um then for example iphone 15 launch happened so we know someone who has maybe purchased a 12 or a 13 is likely to move to a 15 than someone who has purchased a 14 sure. so okay. we'll focus more on the 12 and 13 wow. people who have bought a wireless charger for example are likely to buy uh, or be inclined so we, towards the iphone 15 so this case. now becomes a bit of a segmentation play that pick up this cohort and send them this because the likelihood mm-hmm. of conversion is amazing so this is just an example right sure, based on certain so logic there is some bit of intuitive logic and there is some bit of data which also tells sure. us right ki phone cases do see a spike when the apple keynote happens right or when apple new launches happen sure. right so when phone cases take a peak then there are certain uh, ecosystem related products which also take a peak which is cables accessories wireless chargers right and they are bound to take a peak so now do we sort of you know and this flows across direction so if we know that a phone case is going to launch uh phones will see a spike right phones will see a spike cases will see a spike wireless will see a spike what can we do on a product development mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we we are launching a phone sling collection just for phone cases which are again like you know made with really good colors it's still not launched yet but you know sure. this is where that insight comes from uh, that's completing the loops which is yeah. uh, fairly fascinating because in the fashion industry as well as some of the accessory industries this yeah. loop completion of uh picking up an insight translating into the product yeah. taking it to market becomes a very valuable piece of Absolutely. how businesses grow Absolutely. but you know just to stay back on the whole lens on communication mm-hmm. on the user side and you spoke about a couple of very interesting segmentation lenses and i'm sure you would have heard of those target case studies where somebody was buying let's say you know a pregnancy material today will potentially buy diapers tomorrow Absolutely. so what i found your example yeah. is a fascinating was somebody's bought an iphone 12 or 13 likely to upgrade to 15 mm. and that's when it becomes really interesting because you know i've seen examples of let's say fashion ecosystem where shoes or apparel was a category mm. and there's a sale on a specific size because most of these categories have that cut size issue yeah. you left fit size 7 shoes or you left fit size 14 shoes you know which are not yeah. mainstream but if you want to send the sale to everybody it won't make sense yeah. it will make a lot of sense if you send it to specific people who've either bought or filtered that size before yeah. so the lens I was trying <clears> to apply was uh, when you looked at a couple of transaction examples mm. of an iphone of a certain uh, vintage or a uh, product in a certain category and that gives you that lever to say that okay if i'm going to communicate this to these guys yeah. the conversion rate is 20x of what it would be for a normal blast absolutely and that's where the first party communication that goes out to consumers from any of your channels email yeah. whatsapp sms push the quality of conversions is in our understanding mm-hmm. very directly proportional to the level of relevance and relevance happens 100%. by segmentation and personalization 100%. so as we curious to understand in your world given mm-hmm. that uh, there are known patterns and there are sometimes patterns to be discovered yeah. how do you make it happen and to what level of sophistication or maturity do you currently look at this and mm-hmm. where is it headed from there no i think uh, there's a f- 
like quite deep bit of a sophistication involved right so uh, this was just like one example sure. on the iphone cases right which is a very That's straightforward fairly intuitive yeah very intuitive fairly straightforward right so there are patterns around uh, a past aovs of customers mm. right past spendings right people who have purchased say worth uh, under 1000 right are not likely to be pushed products which are 5000 they'll sure. be you know move to the next year say 2000 or 2500 and how do you do that do you give them more offers do you give them say freebies along with their orders to push them towards 2000 right do okay. you give them extra discounts now someone who's at a 2000 do you push them say five smaller products or mm. do you push them which are in a different different ecosystem mm. maybe a bags person is not interested in a tech product so do you split test those things also and like you know a lot of it is based on our past learnings uh that these are journeys which we know are going to work and then uh, a fair bit of budget is spent on split testing right we may think this is making logical sense but data proves otherwise sure. right so it is very data led so a lot of these things also keep on happening whether they are based out of the amount of money someone has spent uh, money and region spent right is it tier 1 high spend or is it tier 4 high spend right tier 4 high spend is more aspirational so there would be a different product which would be pushed to them a tier 1 maybe uh, a tier 1 you know uh, premium uh, someone who has purchased say a 1000 can also have the capacity to purchase a 4000 worth project in a product in the next purchase also so right sure. so those are things which are starts to become very interesting for me yeah. is you have a five or six people team and you have like yeah. hundreds of these things that you could potentially do yeah. how does it work out practically so i think practically every week we come up with like 10 problem statements right there are certain consistent problem statements ki ha theek hai ओवरऑल सेल कैसे बढ़ानी राइट सो दैट इज द क्वेश्चन एंड देन इट फ्लोज डाउन टू प्रायोरिटी राइट सो लाइक देर इज अ फेयरली intuitive sense or intuitive any but there is a decent sense of uh, prioritization Impact. between the founders and i mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. the other team leads that you know this is uh, likely to get us the maximum results so first focus is here second focus is here third focus is mm-hmm. here right so in across all of these uh, you know tiers of prioritizations there are data problems and there are qualitative aspects so sure. there are a lot of analysis that goes some things get skipped out some things get higher priority uh, but you know it's it's a lot of hard work that goes into identifying these problem statements Absolutely. and then a bit of luck in which one of these 10 problems sort of yeah. ends up giving us meaningful insight so one of the things we see people do in our world is our most sophisticated user at webengage will end up having some 500 dot journeys running on the platform mm. now what tends to happen is you discover a problem statement you figure out automated loop sorts pick up yeah. this audience do something with them complete and you look at the journey outcome in terms of control group delta yeah. is this delivering outcomes yeah. and you keep setting up 10 new journeys every week while the previous ones are also running yeah. so you also make sure that it's not overlapping people don't get five yeah. different yeah. Uh, messages but at the end of let's say a six month period you have hundreds of them running yeah. and they're all delivering some incremental value yeah. and that's the compounding lens to it yeah. so i'm curious when you say that these new problem statements get solved and mm-hmm. they, is this like something that's constantly adding up to your automation stack not or some of this is more tactical in nature which is one time and then you'll have to think of something else tomorrow so i think it's uh, it's not incrementally increasing our automated journeys we like to keep things simple and clean sure. at least from a consumer experience point of view mm. so when we talk about practical refreshes uh, they happen say once in every two months sure. uh, one month one to three months right mm. that is when the communications and the creatives and content and journey flows get refreshed unless we our data has identified a massive gap that we completely missed out which doesn't happen too often sure, it happens of every now and then but not but that's often. the whole compounding lens of incremental yeah. pieces come in but yeah. i can imagine there's so much happening and you're yeah. seeing the kind of growth you're seeing where uh, all of this is adding up yeah. meaningfully already yeah. awesome so well uh, pranil anything that you think is uh, the most exciting thing to happen in the next quarter in your world yeah absolutely so i think 
uh, at a startup like tons of things are happening excited um we are doing a, a lot of crazy brand collaborations with a couple of really big folks so you know those new collections will be quite out there and quite nice um so that thing that's quite exciting and i think one of the biggest pieces that we are doing is we are launching our first offline store in dlf wow. cyber hub so it will be quite nice and you know capturing the entire festive movement in the q3 q4 so from november till almost january february is what we are planning and like you know with our audience being mass premium and like you know being around the corporate hub uh, i think couldn't have had a better location and a better time so because at the end of the day india is still an offline yeah. heavy market for yeah. pretty much all categories and yeah. in this case if it's slightly experiential in nature because some yeah. of these people will want to try put them on yep. whatever yep. it's 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 great from a experiential lens yeah absolutely awesome so india has an amazing appetite for high quality and you know signature products like yours which yeah. are very let's say accessible if yeah. i were to use that word super all the best with your journey thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for doing this panel very exciting conversation absolutely lovely being here